I think you have to think about the same with books. You have to think that book one, despite the fact it took you 10 years and almost killed you, will be your loss leader, but it will build your audience and building your mailing list is so important for that to work. Book two might be the point where it's self-sustaining and book three might be starting to think, I could actually live off some of this money now. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. How long should it take you to write your first book? And can you sell your first book with ads? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. My guest this week is James Blatch, who you may know from Self-Publishing Formula along with Mark Dawson. James is also the author of the 1960s thriller, The Final Flight. In the interview this week, James talks about how long it took him to write his first book and how he sparked the idea from it during a NaNoWriMo competition several years ago. His journey reminded me a little bit of my writing journey as well. So I started writing short stories when I took a series of writing classes in the Irish Writers' Centre in Dublin, entered a few writing competitions, short, got shortlisted, but I wasn't really happy with my progress. So I concentrated on blogging and on freelance writing, but I also wanted to learn about self-publishing books because it was fascinating to me that you could write something and publish it on Amazon without getting anybody's permission. The first book I tried to write was a guide to Twitter for writers. And I outlined the book, wrote a couple of hundred words, and then said to myself, I don't really want to write an instruction manual all about Twitter. So I put that to one side. And then I wrote a book about productivity for writers and for authors. And then later I wrote a series of writing books, a series of books on creativity. And at the time of recording this interview, I'm finalizing a memoir about parenting. Back in 2013 and 2014, I was quite impatient to publish a book on Amazon. I wanted to call myself an author and I wanted to publish a book as quickly as possible. These days, I don't feel the same sense of impatience. I don't follow the write fast, publish often model that romance authors and thriller authors follow so they can earn money from their book sales. I don't do it because I'm also earning an income from Become a Writer Today and from some of the niche websites that I run. So I'm happy to spend a bit more time working on my book. And I've spent over a year working on the parenting memoir, which I recorded an audio version of just last week, because I want to write something that's engaging and entertaining for readers. And I'm prepared to take a few more creative risks with those types of projects. The Final Flight is James Blatch's first book. And in this week's interview, I asked him how he's planning on selling copies of it, because it's easy to sell books when you have a back catalogue. But what should a new author do when they're about to release their first book? And James talks about how he's using advertising to sell copies of his book. And I also asked him if advertising could help me sell my parenting memoir. James also talks about the different businesses that he runs apart from self-publishing formula, in particular Fuse Books and Hello Books, and how they can help authors find more readers and get more copies of their work out into the world. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or you can share the show on Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. I'm also on Twitter. It's at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, J Collins. Please reach out and let me know what you're up to. And of course, if you really enjoy the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. For just a couple of dollars a month, I'll give you discounts on my writing courses, software, and books. Now let's go over to this week's interview with James Blatch. It's great to talk to you. I've taken some of self-publishing formulas courses over the years and I recommend it to listeners. 
But before we get into that, you have a really interesting career. You were also a journalist. I was a journalist back in the day. Granted, not a very good one, but could you tell us a little bit about your career? Yeah, we were just having a discussion off air about how neither of us were good journalists in inverted commas, although I think journalism is changing a bit. But um, in my day, I started independently freelancing, doing sport, mainly motorsport, a bit of ice hockey, stuff like that. Everything apart from football, which is always covered in-house. Then I got a, a job for the BBC producing an afternoon programme for radio and then converted to, to become a news journalist and ended up as a news reader and presenter uh, over about sort of knocking on 20 years, I guess. But I never quite had that killer instinct as a journalist. I, I wanted to tell stories more than anything else. And they liked me for that, for features and more complicated human-centric news stories. So I did quite a lot of crime because I, I think that does fall in that category. But what I didn't bring home was the big exclusive. I wasn't the person who knocked on every door, pushed and barged their ways into, into families and tried to, to get the inside scoop on something. I was much more interested in telling the story of the victims or whatever which is a bit, I suppose, foreshadowing of a, a writing career later. I suppose I did quite well. They quite liked me reading the news and on, on air, and I ended up doing some stuff at, at Network, sort of National BBC in London. And then I ended up going abroad quite a lot, with the military in particular. And then I had children, and that kind of relentless getting up really early, getting you know up in the dark, back in the dark. Also, the possibility of doing a rotation out to Baghdad at a time where people were having their heads sawn off didn't appeal so much. And I didn't necessarily make a conscious decision, but I did see a job come up as a BBFC film examiner as a kind of attachment from the BBC. And uh, I took that. I was lucky enough to get that actually and ended up leaving the BBC and doing seven years watching films and rating those for a living. And whilst I was working there, I met Mark Dawson and John Dyer, who are the two people I now work with in self-publishing. So that's how I transitioned into this uh, this world. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I became a journalist because I like to write. When you were working as a journalist, were you also writing on the side? No, no. I mean, I, I had a go at starting novels when I was in my 20s, late teens, 20s. I started a couple of novels. I may have written a short story at one point. The only writing I really did was occasionally you were asked to write a newspaper article for local news, uh, which I did. And I really enjoyed that. But I hadn't gone back to the early novel writing. I read novels a lot and was inspired by them and every time I read a novel I really liked I thought oh, I'm sure I could write a novel but then I think I thought everyone thinks that don't they so so I hadn't thought about it seriously it wasn't until the 1st of November 2010 which was four years after I'd left the BBC sitting in my office in Soho watching World Wrestling Federation or something for the day um, in my classifying job that I saw a friend tweet the NaNoWriMo link, said he was going to do it. And I clicked on the link. I read the bare bones of what NaNoWriMo was, which is you wrote a 50,000-word novel in 30 days in November. I opened a Word document and I started a story, which became the final flight 10 years later, well, 11 years later nearly. And yeah, so so that was the next bit of writing. So it was always there. I mean, that what didn't come out of the blue. I had dabbled and thought about it a lot before. And that story came out almost fully formed so obviously it had been percolating uh, until that point did it come out almost fully formed during NaNoWriMo or when you set out to turn it into a book more recently the basic story came out in NaNoWriMo right you know, I started writing straight away uh, some fundamental things changed so there's a crash in the book which is now in the middle of the book when I first started it it was on page one it was the beginning of the um of the change in this person's life but a, a development editor said to me it was really interesting the lead up to that 
which I knew in my mind, but it was all backstory. And that became the book. So I, I went back in the timeline for the, for the novel in the end, which gave it more meat and a more rounded feel, I think. But so, yeah, it's funny how that story was was there, more or less. It's, you know, obviously bits and pieces have changed here and there, but the, the fundamentals are the same. And what prompted you to go back and return to the book more recently? Well, that was when we started. So you mentioned the SPF courses. So I got together with Mark Dawson, who's a very successful thriller writer. And he was self-publishing whilst we were at the BBFC. I left and started a video production company. He carried on at the BBFC, but got to the point where he was earning more from his writing than he was in London. So he quit. And he'd contacted me about doing a couple of video bits. He wanted me to do the audio book for one of his books, which I didn't really feel up to. But then he phoned me one day and he said, would John Dyer and I uh, be interested in doing the video for an online course? He's thinking about doing teaching other writers how to market and sell their books. So we met him in London and cut a deal where we took 50-50 on the company. So John and I took 25% each and he took 50%. And then the rest is history, really. And during that period, we did the first course, ads for Facebook ads for authors. When we came to do what's called 101, which is the, the foundation course for people like me, where I'm starting now with one book, how I would set, you know, to teach me how to set out a commercially successful framework for my book. Mark said to me, it would be really good if you got that book out that you started back in 2010 at the BBFC and finished that and published it because that could be the guinea pig book we base 101 around. So that was the reason I got out and he encouraged me to, um, to do it. But I found it, I have to say, I found it very, very difficult process writing that book. You found it a difficult process because your self-publishing formula is quite a big course, thousands of students. So I'm curious how you found the time to work in a book when you're running like a growing business. I know, well, that's ridiculous. At one point, I locked myself into a hotel for three days and tried to break the back of it. And I'm having that now writing my second book. I'm finding it really difficult to get to it every day, uh, which you need to do. So time was one thing, but also I just didn't know what I was doing. You know, you talk about all these things like show, don't tell. I didn't know what it meant. I could say the expression i could come up with a quote about the moonlight on the on the shard of broken glass but i couldn't really i didn't really understand what it meant and it became quite frustrating for me however many novels i'd read i didn't properly analyze them and, and understand how the story worked and so i felt i was flailing about in the dark and, and that all changed when i was doing what you're doing now i did a podcast interview with jenny nash an editor based in california who's a book coach rather than an editor now she's a very successful editor in her own right but started this book coaching and she she came up with this sort of formula i can't it's called an author accelerator program where you work alongside an editor during the writing process and you submit your scenes every week and every week the editor says to you you know the feedback that you need so what is this scene for where is it moving the story you've described a lot of stuff here but this needs to be action or dialogue because it's telling and that's how i learned so i i engaged her services and she gave me one of her editors and that's that process, it wasn't the final book. I did another rewrite after that, but that taught me how to write. I think that was like going to evening school or doing a year's diploma or something on the job training. That got me going. And then when my, I rewrote with another development editor here in the UK, I kind of came at it from a much more mature point of view, writing-wise, and um, obviously still learning my trade, but um, was able, I think, to write more confidently at that point. And how long did that process take? Because that's quite a bit there that you've described working with Jenny. Yeah. So I think I, if I think about this, we started tw in 2015, we started SPF. I think probably in 2016, I started fiddling with the book and without knowing what I was doing. I think I picked up Jenny in 2017 
and didn't publish the book until 2021 this year. So that was a long time. But then I, after I'd finished writing it with Jenny's editor, it was 196,000 words. Wow. So, um, yeah, it was too long and there was a lot of telling and not showing, but I'd learned, I, I knew that, knew that when I got to the end, but I knew I'd have to basically rewrite this book. And that, although I supposed to be fair, that wasn't a rewrite at that stage. That was more of an edit that was stripping out stuff and rewriting scenes, but quite a lot of rewriting. So there was a lot of process that went in, but I, I considered at the time, I never thought this will never end. I never thought this was a waste of time. I always thought this is me necessarily learning my task, learning the, the craft of writing so i didn't think it was wasted and i shrugged my shoulders when people laughed or took the mickey at me for taking so long to write a first book and actually i, I speak to lots of people and lots of people tell me their first book took 10 years so it's not uh, i don't think it's that unusual in the end so you got it down to 484 pages that that's about 100,000 words is it yeah it's 124,000 123,000 something like that yeah a lot more manageable and that really was with my final development editor in the UK he was the guy who really nailed the show don't tell which I keep mentioning but for me it's been such an important part of of writing effective writing is that stuff happens and unfolds to the reader you don't tell them at any point what to think and that was stripping out lots and lots of internal thoughts and and stuff that i'd littered the uh, original manuscript with a few structural changes but not many um at that point and you're writing a follow-up yeah so same universe but set three years earlier one of the characters is in book one so the idea is that the books could be read in either order this book and i'm i'm now into the marketing phase of this book which is an interesting uh, area in its own right and to my delight i'm actually making a small profit with with one book which mark said is very hard and uh, quite rare so that's i'm pleased with that but i've noticed in the marketing one of the ways I got profitable is I stopped advertising it to the US. This book doesn't work in the US. It's, our, it's Royal Air Force. It probably has lots of phrases in there that don't really mean a lot in the States. And the US, probably like every country, ultimately, they like their own history and where they're trying to work out where you come from, which is perhaps why we read books or how to navigate life, whatever the theories are, that why we like novels and stories. It's going to work more with your own landscape than it is someone else's. So for that reason, I think it didn't work in America. Book two is set in the States. And the idea is that that book, will, I will be able to market in the States as well as the UK, hopefully. And you can read them in any order. And I've already got a brief idea for book three, which will probably be back in the UK. Have you outlined book two or changed your writing process compared to book one? Yeah, completely. I have outlined book two and I don't want to go down that sort of um, foggy, foggy route that I had with book one. So it's a complete outline. I've tried using Plotter and a few other things. They don't really work for me. I'm a bit of an old fashioned Word document and Excel guy. I write in Scrivener, but if I want to outline, I just open a Word document and I write five pages, you know, 5,000 words or, or whatever that describes the story. And then I use that as my reference as I'm writing in Scrivener. So I've done that. I'm also letting it ruminate, you know, at the moment. Um, probably one of the advantages of not being able to write a thousand words a day, which I simply can't at the moment, is that you do spend a bit of time on that, on the dog walks, whatever, thinking about the story and it's maturing a bit. That only happens over time. You can't force that, I think. But over time, you start to think, yeah, that's what needs to happen in this story. And then that's the motivation. So I think the story, I, I think it's a stronger story than book one. I'm more excited about it in that sense. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying actually writing it. It sounds like you're getting through writing this draft a lot quicker. Yeah, I think so. I got the first 40,000 words done really quickly. And then it's sort of ground to a little bit of a halt because of work. Um, I think we're going to talk about a couple of the other things. The so Hello Books and Fuse Books are two other companies in addition to SPF that I'm heavily involved with. 
And um, I am too busy, I have to say. In fact, I had I interviewed somebody yesterday to take on in one of the other books to try and um, companies to try and alleviate that a bit. So do you work on your second book before you start your your job running the three companies? No, I, I, I don't really have a routine. I, I tend in the morning to normally have a couple of firefighting things, unfortunately, that I can't sort of put aside. And I usually write mid-morning. So... This is typical. And this morning, and we've got some family stuff going on. Unfortunately, my wife's father's not well. So it happens in, in any family that you get that on top of everything else. So this morning has been a bit of that. It's been me doing a little bit of house stuff because Jill's off doing, doing stuff. I've got this podcast interview. I've got a load of accounts to do before the end of July the 30th. But I will probably, after this interview, I'll probably write for 40 minutes. Yeah, I'm doing my accounts at the moment as well. Yeah. <laughs> they're, a, they're a pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true at the end of the month. So when you're promoting the book at the moment, are you using Facebook ads in the UK or Amazon ads in the UK? I'm using just Facebook ads. I couldn't get Amazon ads working for us. I might revisit them again. Amazon ads are still a bit of an unknown to me. Um, I need to spend more time with our own course materials to nail them. But Facebook ads I can work effectively with. I've, I wouldn't say I've mastered it, but I'm I'm on the runway with the, with those. And I use them for Fuse Books for input and for my own book. And as I say, I haven't checked today's figures, but this month so far, I'm spending something like £14 a day marketing my one book and and making 16 or so. So I've made I've made knocking on £100. The idea at the moment for this book, I understand you can't, you know, retire on one book most of the time. But the idea is to build an audience, even if that costs me £500 over a year in advertising, that's fine. But build an audience so that when book two comes out, I've got a bit of a platform to use for book two. And then when book three comes out, hopefully that's the time which I could start to look at potentially making a you know, decent profit. I've had the other experience. I never got Facebook ads really working to a point where they were profitable. But I had good success with Amazon ads for a few years uh, with nonfiction books. So, But I'm in a kind of a weird position now because I'm finalizing a, a memoir about parenting. And right. so the it's not really the people that I would traditionally sell a writing book to. So I probably may look at Facebook ads again in the future. Do, do you think it works well for nonfiction? Yeah, uh, I think it does because, you know, nonfiction, you're generally answering a problem, aren't you? Answering a question. And that lends itself quite well to Facebook ads, which come on people's feeds. It's all about the, it's all about targeting, of course, isn't it, for both platforms. But I think nonfiction also lends itself well to Amazon ads and um I think of Mark Recklau, who's a, a German a customer, a, a student of ours at SPF, who lives in Spain, actually. And he has had a tremendous success with self-help books, and I think almost exclusively on Amazon ads um, for him. So I think Amazon ads do seem to work well with nonfiction. But the parenting one, yeah, I mean, you you know, it's a it's an easily targetable demographic, isn't it? If you know what sort of age range and, and children you're looking at. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to certainly have to experiment. So you, you also have two other companies, Fuse Books and Hello Books. Would you be able to tell listeners a little bit about them? Yeah, so Hello Books is is a bit like BookBub. It's our own version of that. We've always thought BookBub is a superb company and so important for authors, but difficult to get. And there's a couple of other competitors, you know, Free Booksy and Bargain Booksy and, and so on, Fussy Library and whatever. But we did feel that there was space in the market for another, you know, really well-run professional big list offer for our service for authors and so it's been a bit of a labor of love and we're putting a lot of money into it it won't see a profit i think for a couple of years but we're building the reader list at the moment and um we have probably 
in fact, amazing that we have about 70 authors a week signing up for it at the minute, which is amazing. And um, we have a thousand or so readers a week signing up. So in a couple of years, it's going to be a quarter of a million on the list, we hope, and a very powerful tool. At the moment, it's effective. For some, we're getting people reporting they've hit number one spots in their various charts on Amazon as a result of their Hello Books promotion. Other people saying it hasn't worked for them very well. So it's, it's, it's early days, but we're only charging $25 a shot at the minute so it's almost you know money a couple of cups of coffee isn't it so but yeah that's hello books and i've written the kind of the logic side of it in the background which we run on a something called infusionsoft hopefully hopefully easing myself out of the day-to-day of that did you set that up with john and mark or is it a separate company no it's a separate company but set up with john and mark yeah so mark is um you know the shareholdings is different for that company i'm a bit higher in that john's a bit lower and Mark and I think are equal on that one. So that's the three of us. Whereas Fuse Books, which is just an imprint, um, is me and Mark, and a little bit of input from Stuart Bache, the cover designer. But I run that effectively. I run that day to day, and that's marketing. So far, two authors about to take on a third using exclusively Facebook ads uh, for them. Are there any genres that are working well for for either company? We've got thriller, well, for, for Fuse books, we've got thriller, action, adventure, and we're about to do crime thriller. So we're sticking probably in the thriller genre. We did look at paranormal romance. It seemed to be going so well uh, at one point, but um, decided against it for whatever reason. So we've stuck with the thriller genres. In Hello Books, yeah, thriller's a big category. Romance is a big category, as you might expect. Um, we split out paranormal romance to its own email because it gets so many submissions and readers um what else is going well for that i think mystery is is good on on hello books and the ones we did had an lgbt christian fiction erotic romance they're the three that struggled a bit for both authors and readers so we're probably going to retire those for now and then bring them back when the list is bigger just so i understand the difference fuse books that's where you manage the actual marketing and promotion of the book is that right yes it's a publisher effectively okay and we go 50 50 with the author on the profits so if somebody was looking to work with Fuse Books, they want to concentrate on writing and they don't want to do every, anything else, basically. Yes. Yeah. And they basically can't do anything else. So we, One of the things we do when we interview people who we, we shortlist for submissions is we, we try and persuade them to self-publish because that's our way of knowing that if they definitely, definitely don't want to self-publish or they, they are absolutely terrible at it, then it's worth them signing with us. If they could self-publish, then they should because it's no point in them giving 50% of the profits away to us, you know, for doing something they could do themselves. That's an expensive agency. So yeah, if you can self-publish, I would still recommend that. If you can't, you can't get your books going and they're strong genre books, particularly thrillers at the minute, then we might be, um, might be of help to you. And how, how are readers and customers finding Fuse books? Uh, yeah, so fusebooks.com is the website. Um, it's gone really well. I mean, the second author we took on was on was making, I think, across his six books, £17 a day. Right? I know, that's, that's great. Yeah. Before he'd taken into account any advertising. And we, at one point, after a book bub, had, had him at £400 a day for the best part of a month. On, oh, um, right, so that was before. I was, I was going to say that was good for one book. <laughs> so he's doing okay. <laughs> yeah, before it was 17 a day. We got him up to 400 a day within about four months. Uh, settling down at about the 210, 220 a day mark revenue but what a difference from 17 so it was definitely worth him signing with us and the first guy he did actually do a really good job self-publishing a slightly unusual science fiction sort of action adventure books 
Unfortunately, he died in March 2019. His parents contacted us and we could see in KDP his sales dropping. I mean, I think they were down to about $1,800 a month revenue when we took over but the previous month had been 2200 it was literally dropping at four five hundred a month because he'd stopped advertising in march that year after he died the accounts were closed but we've taken that over and we've got that back up producing a profit for his parents which is nice yeah that was an interesting idea that you, you were talking about on the creative pen podcast that perhaps there are authors who, who you know can't work on their books or promotion anymore but they want to leave something for their family and friends and that's something that you could help with yeah, yeah, definitely. You get. To, I mean, everyone's going to get to that uh, end of life at some point, or the point where you want to retire. And at that point, it is worth you handing over fifty percent of the profit because you're still going to see. You know, the, someone else is going to keep the books going. If you stopped doing everything, they would just dwindle and die away. You know, advertising is absolutely essential these days. So yeah, so if people are getting to that point, that's another reason for them potentially to sign with an imprint like ours or someone else's. Okay. And then to go back to Hello Books, is that the self-publishing formula audience that's transitioning into that service as well? Yeah, I think so. You know, because of GDPR and everything else, there's a, a wall between the two companies. I can't just port the the email addresses across. But I And I haven't done a comparison, but at some point I will probably have a look and see what commonality there is. I suspect we're getting a new audience now as well. You know, there are people, there seem to be a large number of people joining Hello Books, and I can't believe they're all coming from SPF because I think they would have all come early on because the SPF audience are very well aware of it from early on. So, yeah, it started with SPF, but I think we're probably finding a new audience now. Okay, okay. And just to return then to advertising, do you still think it's better to have an email subscriber over just getting the, the book sales straight in Amazon? Is it worth having a mailing list? Is that what you're asking? What would be more valuable, a reader of a book who buys your book or an email subscriber who subscribes to your list? Uh, I need an email subscriber, I think. Uh, you've got to play the long game here. You know, I think, as I said earlier, in the old days, they used to, when you started a company, they used to say that year one, you'd make a loss, year two, you'd break even, and year three, you'd make a profit if it's a successful company which is quite a lot to take on board. You start a company and work for 12 months and make a loss. If you don't give up and you correct everything that's wrong and year two, you break even, year three, you make a profit. I think you have to think about the same with books. You have to think that book one, despite the fact it took you 10 years and almost killed you, will be your loss leader, but it will build your audience and building your mailing list is so important for that to work. Book two might be the point where it's self-sustaining and book three might be starting to think, I could actually live off some of this money now. But you'll only do that, I think, if you've got as much control over your audience as possible. When you launch book three, you need to launch it to your existing audience. And if they've just bought it off Amazon or downloaded it for free off Amazon or whatever, you don't know who they are. Because Jeff Bezos, mm. or whoever it is now, is left, isn't he? Uh, whoever's head of Amazon is not going to give you their email address. So, yeah, my book, you know, I don't advertise for emails now. I have been doing that. But at the back of my book is a very tasty, well-thought-out hook for people to sign up to my mailing list. Basically, an extent, not an extension of the story, but some behind-the-scenes of the story, the crash reports from the official secret crash reports from the two crashes in the book. And it's getting a very high success rate, and that's probably the best thing I've done with that book is to be able to build my mailing list like that. And what types of content are you sending your email subscribers to keep them engaged? Yeah, so I've got four... I've got, I think I've got a sequence of four emails... Uh, which they get when they sign up for the two crash reports. And that tells them a bit about me, my background, a story about a crash that I witnessed when I was young that sort of led to the, the suggestion for this story. Um, and I can't remember what the, the, the fourth one is. Something, oh, yeah, it's a preview of, of the next book of Edwards. 
I don't send a lot of broadcast emails to them at the moment. Uh, I'll probably get uh, Stuart's working on the cover of book two. So when I have that, I'll send that out. That'll be a broadcast email. But I'm not sending monthly newsletters because I've only got this one book. And most people on my list have read it because that's how they got onto the list. Once I've got to book three, I'll be working harder on, on engaging the audience. Will you engage beta readers for book two or three? Yeah, beta readers were really important for me. So the one big mistake I made with my book was that I, the editor who helped me in England, who, who was brilliant and I'll use him again, he did development and copy. And he said to me, having been through this book for development twice and copy twice, I'll be surprised if there are any typos in it. It doesn't really need a proof edit. That was a mistake. And uh, it did need a proof edit. So it went out with about 40 odd typos in it in the end we found. And so I did give it to beta readers. It all happened a bit quickly. A lot of them took, took five weeks to get back to me. So that was no good. But then when they did start coming back to me, and one of my friends here actually locally was very good at spotting those those errors. And the great thing, of course, these days, Brian, you can upload it every day, can't you? So I literally would correct five errors, upload it. And as soon as that one was live, the next batch of, of corrections would be ready. So the person who bought it that afternoon had fewer errors in there. But uh, beta reading was so important in that process that I will really build it properly into book two. They will get an early advanced copy and a proper time like like you know, six weeks for me to wait to get stuff back from them um, so that I know I've got a good edition going out live. Yeah, I, I was narrating an audiobook that I'm working on recently and I still found one or two errors in the book, even though it had been through copy editor and a proofreader. So I guess people just spot different things when they're checking a book. Yeah, and you can't see them yourself, can you? There's, a, there's a, your blindness to your own errors, I think. So you do definitely need outside help and proof editors miss stuff as well as you say i did get my proof edited in the end and one or two still got through what what were your plans for the audiobook um, i'm trying to find the right narrator i went to find away voices and auditioned a couple of people although one person didn't submit an audition didn't they neither of them were going to be good enough i don't or, or not good enough that's the wrong word they weren't going to be right for my book and really annoyingly somebody randomly sent me a clip of the guy who did their book and said, I think this guy would be good for your book. And it was a, one of those days where I had 500 other emails. So I listened to it and thought, oh, yeah, that guy is good. But now, because we get messages on so many different channels, don't we? You've got WhatsApp, Messenger, Insta, I mean, you name it, email. There are so many channels, I can't bloody find it. <laughs> so, so I need to properly, when I've got some time, properly search all my channels, find that guy, because I would like to get the audio book done. You know, I'm in, a, I'm in a lucky position. SPF has been successful. I'm not losing. It cost me, I think it cost me £10,000 I spent on my book, on all the editing services and the cover and everything else um, over those 10 years because I had so many. I went through a few I, editors. I was going to say that's that's a rather expensive first yeah. book. <laughs> I think you can do it. You can't do it for free properly, but you can do it a lot less than that, maybe less than £3,000. Uh, but I spent a lot of money, and I consider that almost like, I said earlier, like money spent on a, an evening course. You know, you'd, you'd spend 10000 over 10 years to, to learn a new skill. But I'm lucky I've been able to fund that through the SPF money that I, I earn, and I can fund the audiobook as well. I don't want to um, do a share on that. I'll probably fund it up front. But I would like to do that. You've prompted me to add it to my list because it sort of <laughs> fell off a little bit, but um, I do need to do that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think a book is a permanent asset that's worth investing in rather than trying to knock something up and get it live quite quickly because it cause stays with you as you know it's attached to your name yeah so james where can people find more information about you or your book or your different businesses 
got lots of places on there. <laughs> um, well, the book is is exclusive on Amazon. It's on KDP, um, and print is wide. But at Amazon, it's James Blatch, The Final Flight. I have a website, jamesblatch.com. I think you can buy signed editions on that website, and we set up at the beginning. And Fuse Books, so if you want to submit, it's like a mini version of BookBub at the moment. Um, uh, that's hellobooks.com. And Fuse Books, if you go to fusebooks.com, you should find there's a submissions tab on there. Not actively looking for submissions at the minute, but anyone who does submit goes does get properly put into a, a slush it's a horrible expression, isn't it? The slush pile. But we do go through it when we're ready to go through uh, for another another submission. And the courses, Ads for Authors and 101, which are the main things that I spend most of my life uh, working on at selfpublishingformula.com. Thanks, James. I'll put all the links in the show notes. Thanks, Brian. Really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or sharing the show on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. More reviews, more ratings, and more shares will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And did you know for just a couple of dollars a month, you could become a Patreon for the show? Visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today, or look for the support button in the show notes. Your support will help me record, produce, and publish more episodes each month. And if you become a Patreon, I'll give you my writing books, discounts on writing software, and on my writing courses. Thank you.